It's amazing how uh, quiet it gets all of a sudden. That's, that's a good thing, I guess. Well, if you're here uh, visiting with us today for the, maybe the very first time, or you've been coming out three, four weeks or so, and uh, you're getting to know us a little bit, we want to greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are not only a church, but we're a church family. And we value you individually and personally. So we thank you for being here today. And at the end of the service, come on up and say hello. And we'd like to get to know you and fill out the bulletin flap and, and give us that information. But it's a great to see you. And our worship team, I want to thank Daryl and his team for the excellent job each week that they do for us. Um, but, and, and what I love about Daryl is his heart is engaged. And that's so very, very important. In 1993, September, I entered a graduate program of counseling at then Philadelphia College of Bible, now Karen University. And I had been counseling in the local churches for about 20 years at that point and had all the undergraduate and graduate clinical skills and all that, but I really felt God calling me to more of a pastoral approach to counseling. And so I signed up for the program and not knowing what I was going to get into. And the very first night of the program back September 1993, 25 years ago, we had our first class, the Introduction to Counseling, for three hours, which is a lecture and helping you understand some concepts. And then you have what is known as a lab. And the lab is you sit around for three hours with six other students in a circle and you practice what you're learning in the classroom. And I can remember, just as it was yesterday, that the professor, uh, after the introductions, looked at us and said, in just a few minutes, we're going to introduce you to your first client. And we kind of all looked at each other and said, well, we'll wait, time out, wait a minute, we're not ready for that, we're, we're in training here. No, no, you're gonna have your first client in a few minutes. And that client is you. Because if you don't learn how to go deep and to deal with all the issues that are going on in your heart, how are you ever going to be able to help anyone? And thus started a journey that lasted for at least the first uh, three months where I started looking at my life in a completely different way. And I realized at my age, being married and counseling and having children and doing all the things I was doing, there were things in my life that were bringing about great pain and great struggle for me. I was adopted. I never knew my adoptive parents. And I grew up in the New York City area, and, and we grew up very poor. And, and poor means that um, you really never knew... Uh, what you were going to have. And you had food on the table, and you had shoes on your feet, and that's about it. And if I wanted to do anything special growing up, I had to work. And so I was 10 years old, delivering newspapers and uh, delivering prescriptions and things like that. Uh, and then later on, I started looking about other things in my life. And one thing that really hit me is that in uh, 1965, I joined the United States Marine Corps. Uh, to get an education, get the money for education. And then uh, after my training, I went down to Cuba for the Cuban crisis in 1965. 
And then in July of 1966, I was uh, sent to Vietnam. And in Vietnam, we were there from July to November, about a six-month period of time. And the unit had to go back to Okinawa. They do that periodically with units so they can resupply, train new troops, get new equipment, get uh, new uniforms, whatever you need. And during that particular period of time, the first thing we did is we made a yearbook of our unit. And then the second thing that we did is we took pictures of ourselves. So there's a photo of me uh, November of 1966. That's 52 years ago. And I know you're sitting here and asking what happened. Okay, I, I get that. Okay. But that's what I looked like 52 years ago. Okay. But the interesting thing is that a couple of weeks before we were to go back to Vietnam, the commanding officer came to me and said, Chuck, you know, you've got a lot of experience. I was a communicator, communications. You've got a lot of experience, and, and we've got a lot of uh, units that don't have that experience. Would you be willing to leave the unit that you're currently in? And would you be willing to go to another unit that's going to Vietnam for the first time? Or would you be willing to train them on procedures? And I said, sure, no, no problem at all. And so I went back with another unit, and, and that was a, a great experience, if you can call it that. But I came back home in, in July of 1967, and when I got home, the yearbook that we put together in 1966 in Okinawa was there, and I opened the front page, and there was pictures of eight individuals who were good friends of mine, who were part of our team, that were killed on the beach landing during that time. And I was supposed to be with them. And I wasn't. Why? Why did God allow me to live? And why did God have those individuals? And so that created for me a lot of pain and emotional struggle to understand who God was in my life and why these things happened. And so uh, we've been looking at pains of life. And I was wearing for many, many years, I was wearing a mask. And so what I did during those uh, times at Karen University, now uh, was Philadelphia College of Bible, but Karen University, is I took off that mask and I started looking at things in my own personal life and trying to not only just try to understand why things are happening, but trying to understand what message that God was giving to me as I went through these very, very difficult times. For the last few weeks, we've been looking at the whole issue of the pain of life. And we see us moving from the pain to the life, to freedom, and to righteousness. And so today, we're going to take a time to look at a portion of Scripture in 2 Corinthians. So I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. As we face the pain of life, we're going to be looking at this portion and gleaning uh, from God's word today. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. If you're here and you don't have a Bible, you'll notice that there are Bibles all around us. So uh, please take that Bible, take it home with you. That's a gift to you. You can have that Bible. We'd like you to start reading that on a regular basis. But let's take a look together at chapter 12 and see what Paul is writing to us. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. 
I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. So let me stop there and, and draw your attention to two things that are saying. First of all, he says, I knew a man. Paul did not say I. He used I knew a man. And he did that because he didn't want to draw attention to himself. And then the third heaven. The third heaven is really the abode of God. The first heaven is the stars and what we see. And then you have the second heaven, all the planets. And then you have the third heaven, the abode of God. So I was caught up in the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I I do not know. God knows. And I know this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told which a man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast, but on my own behalf, I will not boast except of my weakness. I will not boast, though I should wish to boast. I would not be a fool, for would I be speaking the truth, refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he seeks in me or hears from me. So we'll pause here to kind of digest that a little bit. See, in this portion here, we see Paul drawn up into the third heaven. And and God gives him what we would call power. Or he's claiming God's power. We see God's glory given to Paul in this period of time. Now, why is that? Well, glance over at chapter 11, verse 25, right across from chapter 12, and listen to what Paul went through. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, and so on and so on and so on. And so what is happening here is God is blessing Paul. And he's giving him an opportunity to feel God's glory by honoring him. And so what happens here? What, what can Paul and you and I learn from this? Well, first of all, he gives him visions and revelations about the future. And how does he do that? He takes him to heaven and sends him back to earth. So how does this impact Paul? It impacted him because now the reality of heaven something that he'd been preaching and something that he'd been sharing with so many, now he's had an opportunity to actually experience this for himself. And you see, Paul in chapter 11 has gone through so many things, more than you and I could ever imagine. And now what is happening to Paul is God is sustaining him and he's giving him a hope, not only for the present, but for the future. So we move on to the next few verses, and we hear this. I will refrain from it. I will not boast. So in chapter 7 he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should Leave me. And so what we have here 
is God again speaking to Paul. First of all, he speaks to him and, and shares with him a hope. And now God humbles Paul. And how does he humble him? By bringing about something in his life that he needs to totally depend on God for. Now, we read various commentaries, and, and a lot of the authors guess at what that thorn in the flesh was. Some think he was depressed, and that was, that was part of his issue. Some think he had a hearing problem or he had a sight problem. But it doesn't matter. The issue here is that he realizes that something in his life was brought for him, and there's a lot of reasons for that. So we see you and I here today, if I had an opportunity to sit down with each one of you for a few moments, every one of you has a story to tell. And that story may be of pain and struggle in a relationship. It may be a struggle of your health. It may be a struggle of your finances. It may be a struggle of other things going on in life that you feel overwhelmed and you just don't know what to do. And you cry out. You cry out. And, and, and so what we see here, God humbles us. He humbles us to bring about balance in our lives. And that's something that Job faced in the Old Testament uh, because he was challenged by Satan. Well, you've got everything. And what happens if I start taking things away from you? You'll curse God and die. No, but that wasn't the case. And so there are times in your life I don't understand pain and struggle. I don't understand why as a young man of 20-something years old, why I go to Vietnam and why my friends die and I live. I don't understand that. And I don't understand as I meet with people on a regular basis of why you have this issue going on in your life. But I do know that God is at work in everything that he does. And sometimes the mystery of life is not asking the question why, but it's asking the question, Lord, what can I learn from this experience? And for me, of wearing that mask for so many years, to, in my weakness, and, and trying to make life work without God. And so I go into a counseling program, and I realize that all these years I've been struggling. Oh, I knew the Lord, and I trusted him sometimes. But I always wanted to stay one step ahead of him, because I knew better, and I could do it better, faster, and stronger. And that's the life of Marine. I can do it. I can take charge. I can make it happen. And so the Lord had to use that portion in my own life by allowing me to see some of the own pain and struggle in difficult circumstances. So now we move on to chapter 9, and I really want you to listen very carefully to what he's saying is. So I'm going to go back to verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Leave this, whatever this thorn in the flesh is. Well, he said to me, Read it with me. What does it say? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. See, here we see God helping him by offering him grace. God gives him grace. God helped him to understand who he was, who God was. And who Paul is. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with weaknesses, 
and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, I am what? I am strong. I am strong. So we look at this portion. My grace is sufficient for you. But there are those of you that are sitting here today and saying, okay, I, I get it. I, I, I get the terminology, my grace is sufficient. But help me understand. I, I don't understand grace. What is grace? What is grace? And so God's grace for you and I is his provision for our every need. Not our wants, but what we need for life and godliness. And that's God's grace. He gives to us. And there's something else he does for it too. God in his grace gives us what we do not deserve. And in his mercy does not give us what we deserve. God in his grace gives us what we do not deserve. We don't deserve God's love because we're sinners and we've fallen short of the glory of God. We've moved away from him and so we don't deserve his grace. But you see, the grace is that in spite of our miserable self, our wretched self, as the scripture teaches us, that God still loves us and cares for us and wants us to come to him. And see, in his mercy, in his mercy, he does not give us what we deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve death because God can't deal with sin and so we deserve death in this portion of scripture here. And so you may be here today and you're struggling and trying to make sense of of what we're talking about today. Uh, I know that um, many of you are here today that are just really hurting. And I'm thinking just recently my my, uh, father-in-law died uh, back in January And that was my wife's father. Her biological mother died when she was six years old. So after 60-something years, her mother and father joined themselves together at the burial site up in where we live in New York. And her stepmother is still alive. And my wife has a half-sister who lives in California. And she has not talked to her parents for over 15 years. She didn't come to the funeral And when I went out to see her a few years ago, she said this to me. She says, I will celebrate when my mother and father die. I will celebrate. How sad is that? That that's someone who is is really, really struggling. That my my wife and my sister-in-law grew up in a very abusive environment. And I say abuse, emotional abuse, and really struggled. And my wife worked through that because of God's grace in her own life. But because my sister-in-law never dealt with it, she's a Christian, she knows the Lord, she serves in the local church, but I have to believe that she's got a very, very, very heavy heart. And it was only four years ago that we finally talked to her. I went out there, and family said she'll never talk to you. I went out there anyway, kind of stubborn. And I went there, and, and we kind of made some peace, and so I have a relationship with her. But I know she's wounded, and I know she's hurting. And so I know some of you are sitting here today, you're sitting here, and, and you're not sure... Uh, how you're going to make it through the day. Maybe finances, you, you just don't have enough money coming in. Or perhaps you've had a relationship, a broken relationship that you want to restore. Or perhaps your medical issue is way beyond anybody's thought process and, and you, you've gone through doctors and you've gone through this and you've gone through that. 
and yet you still feel the pain and the struggle of that. Well, God has a message for you. And so I could stop here, and I could let the the worship team come back, and, and we could sing a few more songs, but there's another part of this message that I think you really need to understand today, and I want to talk to all of you. So we're going to have what I call a little fireside chat. I'm going to sit down, we're just going to talk, and I'm going to talk to you like no one else is in the room. I'm going to talk to you individually right now, even though we have a a group of about 200 or plus. So I want to share with you some thoughts and where my heart's at this morning. We have the Barnabas Care team under the direction of uh, Linda Hamilton, and we have several of our Barnabas Care team members, and they're going to be here this morning uh, after the service to sit and and chat with you and and pray with you and, and be there and guide you. But you know, I talked about this whole idea of grace and My grace is sufficient for you. And yet if you're here this morning and you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then you don't understand this concept of grace. So let's take a look at Romans 3.23. You don't have to turn to it. I'm going to put it up on the board for you. And Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. Nobody is immune from that. And I I don't care if you're a good person and you do good deeds and uh, you give money to the poor and you do all those things and, and, and you have a great relationship, you're still a sinner. And God says to you that you need to deal with this sin issue in your life. But to go on, let's take a look at Romans 6.23 and see what that says to us. For the wages of sin is what? Death. Wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Free gift. And some of you are this morning sitting here, and, and, and you've never made that profession of faith in the Lord. You, you haven't trusted him. Maybe, maybe you're here for the very first time, and you're hearing this message for the first time, and God is speaking to your heart this morning and saying, I want you to take my free gift of salvation. I want you to allow God to work on your heart. And in a few minutes, I'm going to show you what God is saying to you in the Scriptures. But there's another portion also. For many of you, probably the majority here, if we have 200, 198, know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And that's wonderful, and it's exciting, and someday you and I are going to rule and reign for all eternity, and Christ is going to come back and set up his earthly kingdom, and we won't have any pain and struggle. But there's an issue here. You're living right now on the earth, and you're struggling with issues of life. And you're trying to make life work. And it's not working. And you're struggling each day of your life. And there's a reason for that. God is your Savior. But you haven't made him Lord of your life. You're still trying to fix life. And God says it's time to stop that process. You see, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And if you're lost, Jesus came for you. But if you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior and you're struggling with issue, he also came to do what? To heal the brokenhearted and set the captive free. 
And I will tell you, some of you are in bondage today. So what we're looking for is to taking your weakness that you have up here. You're taking your weakness and claiming God's power. We're taking that weakness that you're struggling with and turning it into God's power. God came to heal the brokenhearted and to set the captive free. In just a few minutes, we're going to pray together. And I'm going to come down right with you. I may sit next to one of you. Like I do with my students to intimidate them. I don't want to make two prayers today. First one I want to pray is I want us to take a look at John 3.16. John 3.16. This is for those of you that have never known the loving care of Jesus and accepted him as your personal Savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the message of the scriptures right here. And so this morning, as we pray together, God is going to speak to your heart and ask you to admit that you're a sinner and claim Jesus Christ upon that if you confess your sins and ask them to be your Savior, he will do that, and you will enter into eternal life. And then for those of you that are struggling with issues of life, we're going to pray for you this morning Pray that not to take away. Oh, that'd be wonderful. And, and sometimes we say, just take away this, and that's okay. But pray what Paul said. Pray for God's grace in your life. That the grace of God is sufficient for you. So I'm going to come down there with you, and uh, we're going to uh, pray together. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and just bow your head and, and take, I'm going to give you about 30, 30, 40 seconds or so. And just be quiet, quiet before I talk to the Lord this morning. And, and if you don't know the Lord today, just, just ask him. Say, Lord, this is your prayer. Lord, I know that I'm a mess. And I know I've never sought you. And so I want to have you come into my life. I, I confess I'm a sinner and I, I, I need you, Lord. I need you as my Savior. Would you do that today, Lord? Will you save me for all eternity? Will you do that? And then, Lord, for those that are struggling, that are struggling with issues of life, that you will just stop and pause for a moment and allow God to speak to your heart. So I'm going to give you just a, about a minute just to be quiet before the Lord, uh, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody leaving, nobody moving. Let God speak to you. Our gracious God and Father, as we pause in this moment of time, our heads are bowed and eyes are closed and there's quietness here. We just call upon you, right? Let your spirit be with us, Lord. Let us fill your presence. And Lord, at this moment, I pray for those that have never made the profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, that they will understand that you reign with them for all eternity as they come to you and they confess their sins. And so, Lord, I pray at this very moment be able to say, I'm a sinner, and I know I am, and I fall short of the glory of God. Lord, at this time, I confess my sin, and I accept you as my personal Savior. And also, Lord, those of you that are in this audience this morning, I know, I know, if I had the time to meet each and every person, I know that most, if not all, would be struggling with issues of life. Lord, speak to hearts today. 
Let them feel your presence. Let them feel your grace and mercy. Let them know that you're real and heal the brokenhearted and set the captive free. And let each person here today feel your power that only you can have and that will surrender our will to you. Lord, we thank thee and praise thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.